101. This section is, for just a bit of a review, is, uh, you may recall, give thanks to God, sing a new song to God, uh, and praising Him, getting our minds on Him. And I think we're going to see in this next psalm or two, kind of a uh, something that goes along with that. In other words, the relationship had been broken. And the first part of the Psalms that we went through showed the difficulties that Christ went through, the difficulties that mankind has gone through, and the difficulties here in the end that are very similar because it happens the same way generation after generation. The same things that we have suffered and, and been trying to deal with and then you come to this one where it's a matter of repairing the breach and healing the relationship. And that's really, again, where we are. God has blown us apart, splintered the church, and now we need to heal the breach. So we get our minds back on God, which is what this part has been about, to some degree past our troubles, and now refocusing on God and what He can do. And at the same time, when you're <clears throat> repairing a relationship or a breach in one, both sides have to be willing to show what they will do to make it work better. It can't be one-sided. Uh, it takes two to tangle. It takes two to tangle, too. Uh, so you've got to have both, God and us, reaffirming and confirming uh, what it is that we need to do. And that's where chapter 101 picks it up. Uh, the ones before I, I went back, oh, sing a new song, the Lord reigns, sing, sing to God, make a joyful noise, the Lord reigns, and so on. Getting the focus back, okay? And he even starts Psalm 101 in somewhat the same light. I will sing of mercy and judgment unto you, O Eternal, will I sing. So, same opening as the previous chapters. And then, <clears throat> the psalmist, these may have been written at different times and sometimes by different people, but the way God put this together, uh, it, it forms a story flow uh, with some back and forth. But you know how it is the way they write a, a novel. You'll, you'll come so far in it, and then it'll flash back and pick up somebody else's personality, and then it'll move this one forward, uh, and so you move all the different elements of the story forward. And God has done the same thing in the Scriptures. So, now he introduces what the, the human, what you and I need to do. I will behave myself wisely in a mature way. There's a mouthful right there <laughs> from human beings. So, I'll be more mature, I'll take care of my responsibilities better. Uh, how does a husband and a wife, how do friends, how do business employees and employers talk? They get together to resolve the difficulties. And they both will tell you what they need to do, what their part is to make things work better. <clears throat> oh, when will you come to me? When are we going to get this breach repaired? I will walk within my house with a perfect or a mature heart. 
So he says, I'm going to, I'm going to do my part. When are you going to return? And that's where we are right now. We're trying to do our part so God will shine his face on us. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me, or it won't, I won't let that stick to me. There are many who have turned aside. Well, this is as real and as important and as timely as anything we could read. A presumptuous heart shall depart from me. I'll not presume things. I'll not take them for granted. I'll not set myself uh, on high, but I'll be humble and meek and be willing to serve you in whatever way I need to. I will not know a wicked person. Uh, we have a lot of New Testament instruction on that, that uh, our fellowship is not with the world, our fellowship with each other and with the heavenly beings, the Father and the Son. So that's repeated several times in the New Testament. What fellowship does light have with darkness? <clears throat> Whoso privately slanders his neighbor, him will I cut off. Uh, there, there's one that we should resolve to do. And if our neighbors start slandering one another, cut them off. I don't mean don't ever speak to them again, but tell them, hey, we, we don't need to do that here. We need to be positive. Quit, uh, quit putting somebody down. Him that has a high look and a proud heart, will I not permit? I will not suffer it. I will not allow it. So somebody starts getting the big head and thinking they're really something and, and puts himself in a position where they presume to be able to judge somebody else's conduct, then we need to cut them off. We need to be that bold. We're, we're, I don't mean we have to get mean and nasty, but we can steer the conversation somewhere else. You know, We don't need to be putting somebody down. That's hard to do. You know, That's really hard to do. It's, it's hard for us to have the courage and the strength and the will to do it. And, and besides that, if things start in a downward direction towards somebody or some people, it's so easy to join in, uh, easier to do that than it is to take it the other direction. But that's what we really need to do. So if we're going to make things work right between us and between us and God, then we need to take the responsibility. And that's what's being said here. I'll do my part. When are you going to turn back to us? My eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. We want to live together in peace with those that are faithful to God. <clears throat> he that walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. And we'll serve one another if we're working at, walking in a mature fashion. He that works deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that tells lies shall not tarry or be in my sight. We have to begin to call each other on these things. Well, probably what we do is just make people mad. <laughs> well, okay. Try to be tactful. Try to be diplomatic. Go back to the book of Philemon if if we tend to be too blunt, and see how very carefully Paul 
uh, addressed the situation there where he was doing some correcting. He tried to be very tactful and very careful not to offend, and yet at the same time, he had to get it said. So, we don't want to offend and turn somebody away, but we we want to... We all on the, need to be on the same page here. We're all working at the same thing. We're trying to get God to turn His face and smile and bless us again. So we need to encourage one another in that. And you don't always need to, to actually correct someone per se, but just steer the conversation elsewhere. You know, they start getting down on somebody and say, yeah, but they're... and kind of pick it back up and say something good about them. There are, there are ways of doing it without causing too much offense. And sometimes without you getting too bold, people will say, oh yeah, I guess I was headed the wrong direction with that. So they'll kind of make a mental note to, to, to pull out of it. So there are, there are ways of doing it carefully, but we don't just keep putting up with it, okay? We, we need to help each other get out of it. We have that responsibility. But isn't that what this is saying? It's talking about getting things right again with God, but to do that, we have to get things right with one another. So he's saying, I'm committing myself, if you're going to turn your face back to me, I'm committing myself to do my part with my friends, relatives, brethren in the church. Uh, Verse 8, I will early destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all wicked doers from the city of the Lord. Now, that may be raising it to another level. If this was David, let's say the king writing this, this does say this is a psalm of David up at the top of, of the chapter. Uh, we can do it on an individual basis, but he in the kingdom said, this is going to be a righteous kingdom. I'm not going to tolerate this, 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 and this. Now, that's hard to achieve, but that was his goal, his purpose, and what he was committing to try to do was to help make uh, Jerusalem, the city of the eternal, a righteous place. In a, in a sense, that's what the elders, the ministry's job is. Uh, we are Jerusalem, Hebrews 12, the church and Zion, he says, in a spiritual sense. And it's our job to read these scriptures to all of us and to help us be what we need to be, so that the city of the Lord, spiritual Jerusalem and Zion, is what it ought to be right here. Not a kingdom yet. We don't have the Jerusalem under our control, or Zion for that matter, but we do have spiritual Jerusalem and Zion, and God says, if you'll learn to control that properly, then I'll give you the other, so you can finish my work. So we need to be getting this part under control. All right, let's go to Psalm 102. Hear my prayer, O Eternal. Now, this time he doesn't open it with sing to God or the eternal reigns, but he makes some statements in 101 about the commitment to his part. Then in 102, he says, hear my prayer. Uh, These are the things that in my mind I've thought of that need to be accomplished. Now I need help. Now I need you. So hear my prayer, O Eternal, and let my cry come to you. Hear, let let it come through to you. Hide not your face from me in the day when I am in trouble. Incline your ear to me 
In the day when I call, answer me speedily. Uh, that is a prayer. We would love to have speedy answers from God. We'd like to have the relationship such that we pray He answers. Uh, not pray and think, well, I wonder if He heard that. Well, this, this psalm is a, a prayer toward that end, that the closeness might be there between us and God. And you can make your commitments in 101 about what you need to do, but getting it done is something else. So then we have 102 that says, I know what I need to do, uh, now I'll pray. And ask Him not to hide from me, because we know that our sins cut us off, that they damage the relationship with Him, but we still have difficulty, and that's what He's acknowledging here. For my days are consumed like smoke, and my bones are burned as in hearth. Uh, life goes by in a hurry. Uh, smoke goes into the air and it's gone. Put a log on the fire and pretty quickly it's burned up and gone. So we, we live and it seems like it's so fast and suddenly we're old and it's over. And we need treasure in heaven. My heart is smitten and withered like grass so that I forget to eat my bread. Uh, I get so frustrated the way things are that we, we have trouble even getting the basic things done sometimes. By reason of the voice of my groaning, my bones cleave to my skin. I am like a pelican of the wilderness. I'm like an owl of the desert. I watch and am as a sparrow alone upon the housetop. Uh, what's a pelican doing in the wilderness? <laughs> you know, they should be by the sea. They should be where there's fishing. Uh, pelican in the wilderness is kind of out of place, I think that's what he's saying here. Uh, like an owl of the desert. An owl is a pretty solitary bird and uh, goes about its business at night, basically. And a sparrow alone. Well, instead of having a flock of birds, a sparrow by itself. So he said, well, I'm feeling left out, lonely, frustrated. Life is difficult. My enemies reproach me all the day, and they that are mad against me are sworn against me. It seems like when somebody gets an attitude toward you, it's so very, very hard to resolve it, to fix it, to make it work, to get past the anger, the frustration, the you did me wrong, uh, whatever. Uh, we have trouble with those things. So we keep score. And they build up in our minds and our emotions. And who does that hurt, them or you? It, it agitates you. It doesn't agitate them. They may, may not even know it, except maybe by the look on your face or how you don't speak to them or whatever, but uh, it bothers you a whole lot more than it does the one that you're mad at. <laughs> uh, you're the one mad, not them, unless you both get that way. Then I guess we just circle each other like a couple of dogs till we find a way to sniff and make up. I don't know. Verse 9, for I've eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping. So life gets to the point sometimes where it, it just isn't palatable. It doesn't taste good. Uh, life is frustrating because of your indignation and your wrath. And that's what we've been under these last quarter century is basically God's indignation and wrath. For you lifted me up... Uh, and cast me down. And he did lift us up in the beginning of the church. 
And things went pretty well for a while, and then we got cast down because of our attitudes. So here's where we find ourselves, and we're in this section where we start turning to God and start committing to God in the way that we're supposed to. And we have to admit where we are. Uh, if you don't admit where you are, you're not going to fix it. Uh, that's just the way it is. And I, most of the church today still does not admit where they are. They think everybody else laid a sin, but they're okay. And if you think you're okay, you're expecting somebody else to change, not you. So we're the ones who have to admit we're the problem. We're the ones that need to repent. And only those who will do that uh, even have a chance to. You cannot overcome that which you do not acknowledge. Uh, my days are like a shadow that declines, and I am withered like grass. So we find ourselves growing older, drying up, uh, not much to look forward to unless God intervenes. The church is just going to go on for a few more years, and people keep dying, and he's not calling more, and it just will get worse and worse. You know, I have less and less friends from the past that I know in the church, because I look at the obituary in the different papers, and I see them dying off. So... That's where we're headed. You don't see the numbers, that in, you don't see it increasing, nobody coming in to replace. So we've got to get it right with God. Uh, but you, O Eternal, shall endure forever, and your remembrance unto all generations. Contrast that, he says, with the way we are. We wither and dry up and go away, but you're there forevermore. You're eternal. But then it gets encouraging again. You shall arise and have mercy upon Zion for the time to favor her. Yes, the set time is come. We played a, uh, a song using that verse a few times. Uh, I hope the set time is soon. But haven't we been experiencing what all this is talking about? And then when the set time that God has chosen has come, he will turn his face, he will blot out our sins as a cloud, and one day, he says, and the time will be here to bless Zion again. For your servants take pleasure in her stones and favor the dust thereof. Don't we take pleasure in the rocky cliffs and promenades of Zion? It's just gorgeous and inspiring. They're there to take pleasure in, and we favor the dust, even that which has come down and eroded and so on, the very ground we walk on, the dust, as well as the towers that still stick up in majesty. Does this sound like the Zion over there? Question mark. Nah, doesn't even come close. So the heathen shall fear the name of the Eternal, and all the kings of the earth your glory. When the Eternal shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. So, from this time forward, and even on into the kingdom of God, uh, he is going to show his glory. He'll show it first in the latter temple, and then he'll show it in the heavenly temple, the heavenly Jerusalem, in a very close, uh, proximate time frame. 
He will regard the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer. We see, he, he turns, he blesses those who take pleasure in Zion, and now he will begin to regard our prayers and not despise them or put them aside or turn his face away, but with the commitment we are making and turning to him, that's what he's after. This shall be written for the generation to come, and the people which shall be created shall praise the Eternal. Now, this was written thousands of years ago, and we are those people that have been created over time. This is a prophecy that has been being fulfilled, and it'll be fulfilled in part in us, and then it's going to be finally fulfilled in the Millennium of Great White, Great White Throne Judgment. So it's a, prog it's a prophecy in progress. For he has looked down from the height of his sanctuary, from heaven did the eternal behold the earth, to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to loose those that are appointed to death, to declare the name of the eternal in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem. Now, we can praise his name in the church, but won't it be a wonderful upgrade when we get to go to the real Jerusalem, the real Zion, and proclaim his name from there. Because then you have a double dose. You have his people, his spiritual Jerusalem and Zion, speaking from physical Jerusalem and Zion. So you combine the two, and it's even greater to his glory. When the people are gathered together in the kingdoms to serve the eternal. So, where are we? We're waiting for the gathering. We're waiting for the remnant of the church to come together and build the latter temple. So this story flow here is, let's get our commitment to God done right. Then he is going to arise and have favor at the set time. And then as the people come together to form the latter temple, to build it, uh, the kingdoms to serve the eternal. Now, in a way, it's not millennial yet when that starts, but then all the kingdoms will in the millennium. So it's, it's, it's the kingdoms of the church, the smaller spiritual kingdoms that will respond and be stirred to come. And then when they are gone and come back with Christ to rule the earth, then the physical kingdoms. So everywhere we go in the Bible, we find the two applications. I don't know how many thousands of times I've said that now, but everywhere you go, there it is. First, the church is taken apart and blessed, then the nation is taken apart and blessed. It goes hand in hand. He weakens my strength in the way. He shortened my days. Um, I said, O oh my God, take me not away in the midst of my days. Your years are throughout all generations. So the focus then is to get back on God, that, that He will be eternal. And a notification slipped in there that, well, I'm not again. Uh, you've, you've made my life short. You've cut it off. There isn't much there. Uh, but you, again, the contrast, live forever. Of old have you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Um, a reminder, once again, that God is seen through the creation, and that we need to cast back, if we doubt the future, 
look at the past and see what God has done and that he will do the same thing all over again because he said he would. Heavens are the work of your hands. They shall perish, but you shall endure. Yes, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture shall you change them, and they shall be changed. Uh, the earth's going to be different. You know, you wear clothes for a certain time, and they get dirty, they get ragged, they get holes in them. Uh, you know, they, 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 don't, they don't look so hot. And this earth's getting where it doesn't look too good. So he says, I'm going to change it like a change of clothes. It'll be clean and fresh and beautiful and, and untorn and unsoiled again. He's not, it's not going to completely perish. Uh, Isaiah 24 says that. Few men left. Uh, it's not going to all be burned up like the church began to teach there for a while. The scriptures simply do not uh, endorse that. They don't back it up at all. But you are the same. And your years shall have no end. So the earth you put us on is going to go through some changes, but God will always be the same. The children of your servants shall continue, and their seed shall be established before you. It was done from the time this was written until today, and it will be done from this time on forward. We will continue. That's very positive and very encouraging there. This is going to just end and be over, but it will continue. So then again, chapter 103 begins very positively. Bless the eternal, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. So our, our whole being, all our emotions, all our feelings, all our thoughts are toward the glory of God. Uh, He's, he's what we got, brethren. He's everything. We are going to wither and die like grass. We're already falling apart. Uh, some of us are still young, but even the young have health problems. Uh, they're beset by diabetes and cancer and ADD and ADHD and DDT and, I, I don't know, everything. Uh, so it's not just the elderly anymore. The whole world is sick and is headed toward death at our own hand with World War III about to come. It's it just, if we can't kill ourselves with pollutants and poisons, we'll kill ourselves with bombs. Uh, you know, we, we're not particular. We'll, any way we can get it done, we'll destroy ourselves. So we look to God who can preserve us and can see us through and can give us eternal life. I mean, well, that's where we need to look. That's where our thoughts and our minds and our hearts, all our emotions need to be. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the eternal, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So we need to rehearse. We think about God. We rehearse all the things he does for us. Uh, keep them in mind. It's so easy to forget. It's so easy to get our minds on ourselves and our difficulties and wants and desires and needs and, and just life in general. Uh, but we need to be sure we think of God, that we put Him first. And then it mentions some things. Who forgives all your iniquities? Who heals all your diseases? Wow. Whatever sins, whatever iniquities we commit, He's willing to forgive them and to heal our diseases 
Yeah, we're dying of diseases, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. But God is there, and He is going to heal us. Who redeems your life from destruction? O divine Redeemer, He who is our Savior, redeems it because we're all appointed to death. If we don't have Christ's blood for our sins, we die eternally. But thankfully, we do have that blood. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies? Oh, God is willing to do that. He wants us to be crowned with loving kindness and tender mercies. It's the way He thinks of us. But at the moment, He says, uh, if they'll get it straightened out, then I can do that. That's what He wants to do. But we prevent Him. We limit Him. Who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. We've read these different scriptures in Isaiah and various other places, but here it's repeated, or written before the others were even written, for that matter. The Eternal executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He'll come to our aid. He'll come to help us. He'll straighten these things out. There is a set time that these things will occur. God will set His hand to do it. Meantime, we need to be patient and wait and do our part of the commitments that we have made until that time is here. The Eternal executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. I read that. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the children of Israel. He says, hearken back again. God has always, to a generation, made known the things that He needed known. And I think he's doing with that, at that with us right now. He's making known to us those things that we need to be equipped with to do the things we need to do uh, to come back into his blessings. The eternal is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He's got lots of it. Uh, if we could only be like God and show as much mercy to each other and be as slow to anger with each other and gracious with each other as he is with us, wow, what an improvement we'd have. Uh, well, that's what he tells us to do. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He says, I will change it. It's not going to go on this way. It may seem like forever to you, but it isn't going to be that way. It'll seem like it was short when it comes to an end. When you're still going through it, it seems interminable. It's like, well, he uses the other example of a woman having a baby. It seems like, oh, the pain is never going to end. How can I stand it? It just goes on and on. Uh, the birth pains continue. And then it says, all that's forgotten for the joy that a man is born into the world. As soon as it's done, you begin to forget the pain almost immediately because you've got another 20 years of trouble ahead of you. <laughs> Not a different kind of trouble. We're happy to see babies. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Isn't that encouraging? That He is willing to stop short of what we really deserve and show mercy and kindness and blessing upon us. What a God that is. 
Well, people aren't always that way. They won't forgive you till you've paid back the utmost farthing, you know, as Christ said in that one parable. But God's not that way. He's willing. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. How high is the heaven above the earth? You look up and it just seems like it goes on forever. The big, beautiful blue sky we have out here. Or you look up at night and the infinity that the stars seem to go to, it just goes on and on and on. It's incredible. Uh, even with a full moon, you see some pretty nice bright stars out here. And then when the moon is uh, hidden or shrouded or new, uh, the sky is just full of them. Well, how will... how far is He willing to remove our sins? As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. I don't, that's undefinable. As far as the east is from the west, it, it just goes on forever. Because you, you're going different directions. If somebody's traveling east and somebody's traveling west, uh, it just goes on and on. Wow, if we could give, forgive each other's transgressions like that, and our little grievances and bad attitudes and, and all the things we get toward one another. Uh, now, there's a goal for us. There's something to work on. Like as a father pities his children, so the Eternal pities them that fear him. Uh, as parents, I think we've all felt that. Our little child gets hurt or has troubles, and our hearts just melt. You know, we, we pity them. We, we want them to feel good. We want them to quit hurting. We want them to get over their alleys. We don't want tears. We want to see them smile through them and get over their problems. That's the way God pities us. He uses these little physical analogies that we all have probably experienced and understand to try to show us how He feels toward us. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. And Christ even came and lived that life and saw what we go through and experienced himself. Temptation is not sin. Temptation came to us and it came to Christ. He was tempted in all points like we are. So that's not a sin. A a perverse thought can come, and that in and of itself, or the desire to do wrong, is not in and of itself a sin. It's if we allow that to build and grow and become sin, is when it becomes sinful. He says, uh, when, how does he say that? When lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. So he had those same desires, those same difficulties that we do. That's one reason he was a man of sorrows. He just resisted better than we do. But he does remember that we are dust. He, he knows what it's like. And, and he's willing to forgive and uh, apply his blood on our behalf over and over again because he does understand that. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. It just 
Fire comes, burns it up, sun burns it up, and it's gone. Out here, the tumbleweeds tumble across the desert, and they're gone. Well, unless they hit the fence, and you've got to clean them up. But the mercy of the Eternal is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear Him and His righteousness to the children's children. So generation after generation, He's willing to bless, to help, to forgive, and to see this thing through. To such as keep His covenant, and to those that remember His commandments, to do them. Now that thought is expressed throughout the Old Testament and over and over throughout the New Testament. It's one thing to hear them, it's another thing to do them. It's an entirely different kind of horse. Uh, it's real easy to listen to them or put them on your doorpost or whatever, but to keep them all in mind and to actually live up to them, well, that, that's a whole different deal. The Eternal has prepared His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. He's, he's organized. He has it ready. He knows exactly what He's doing. And it's not going to get out from under his, his grasp or His rule. He's allowing Satan to do certain things right now, but that's going to come to, come to a halt. Uh, God has it all under control. Bless the Eternal, you His angels, that excel in strength, that do His commandments, hearkening to the voice of His Word. Bless you the, eternal, you, the Eternal, all you His hosts, you ministers of His, that do His pleasure. And maybe He's using not us as angels here, but using the angels as an example, because the ones that have been faithful to Him, He's continued to bless them, and their lives have gone on for how long? Millions, billions of years since they were created. I don't know when they were created. It could have been a long time before the earth was renewed. Uh, but they have obeyed Him and served Him, and they're happy as they can be. They excel in strength and hearken to Him. Bless the Eternal, all His works in all places of His dominion. Bless the Eternal, O my soul. So he starts this thought out, goes through some different emotions and things, and, and uh, rehearses some of the promises of God, and shows God's mercy and willingness, and then he reminds himself and God that the goal and the purpose is to bless God with all our heart, O oh, my soul. Then we start another one. Bless the eternal, O oh, my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. So there are, there are some little places in here where it still shows our frustrations and difficulties, but it keeps coming back to hammering home this theme. Get the mind and the thought and the worship, the intent on God. You are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. We remind ourselves of those things, hopefully daily in prayer, because that's how Christ said to start out a prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And giving him honor and glory and praise uh, and spending a minute or two or some time on that at the beginning of a prayer is a very good way to introduce a prayer. Address him by name and then go through a few of the things like these these prayers do. Uh, 
about who and what God is, because then that helps put you in a frame of mind of really who it is you're talking to. Now, this is the greatest being in the universe, and he's willing to listen to me, and he will hear what I have to say. Who covers yourself with light as with a garment, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. Just a reminder of the majesty and the glory of of his universe and and how it stretches out like a curtain. We open and close a little curtain, but God's his, his curtain is the whole universe. Uh, his influence goes there, his his might, his power. Who lays the beams of his chambers in the waters? Who makes the clouds his chariot? Who walks upon the wings of the wind? So God is he's everywhere. He's able to Enjoy all the universe and all the atmosphere around us. You know, as, as humans, we're so very, very limited. We love to go to beautiful places on earth, don't we? I, I've, I've always liked to go to, to different places, exotic places, any place I haven't seen. I like to go there. I like to see it, experience it. But I am limited by the cost of airline tickets and uh, the roads when you get there, and the inability to climb to and enjoy, even if you're, you know, oh yeah, I've been to Brazil, right, flew into the capital city, you know, back out, but there's lots of places in Brazil I haven't seen. Uh, I'd like to see them all. But even with a small plane or with a backpack and a machete or whatever, it's an impossible task. But if you can fly like the clouds and the wings of wind, you can go anywhere you want and be there and enjoy any part of it at any time. I always wanted one of those little things you could strap on your back and you could fly, you know, and go. You'd get into some fishing holes and hunting places nobody's been. But uh, wouldn't it be nice to be able to go anywhere and do anything? Well, God's that way. So we're we're addressing the one who can do that for us so that we can not only enjoy the few places we've seen and maybe remember them and go back and look at the photographs and have a little tear once in a while, uh, but we can experience it all at any time and any degree we wish once we're like Him. So it helps to expand our mind like David is doing right here. Who makes His angels spirits, His ministers a flaming fire. And he will do the same with us. He said he made us for a little while lower than the angels there in Hebrews. But we will then rise and be greater than the angels. So if he can do that with the angels, he can do it with us. Who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever? It's been tilted off the axis a little bit out of a perfect orbit or something else like the moon or something has been done so. But it's still on the foundation. It just needs to be readjusted a little bit. And it was only moved off that because of sin. When repentance is here and God blesses again, we'll have it put back and have a perfect calendar. You cover it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. And they did. God began the recreation there in Genesis 1-1. 
darkness was over the deep, and then he caused the dry land to come up. At your rebuke they fled, at the voice of your thunder they hasted away. They go up by the mountains, they go down by the valleys under the plates which you have founded for them. So God set the boundaries on the earth. The mountains are going to be here, the sea is going to be there, and it's, they stop right where he sets the limits. All of these things, all of nature. You have set a bound that they may not pass over, that they turn not again to cover the earth. So he says, once I brought the hills and mountains out of the deep, there in Genesis 1-1, I set a boundary, and you don't have to worry, they're not going to sink again. And he did do it once at Noah's day, covered them all up, but when he stopped the rain and the fountains of the deep, they reappeared. They came right back again where he had set the bounds. He can change the boundaries. We can't. Nothing can change him unless God does. I think he changed the boundaries of the seas and the mountains when he separated the continents. <clears throat> but he has that capacity. Verse 10, he sends the springs into the valleys which run among the hills. Says he's going to do it right here in the desert. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild asses quench their thirst. We have wild burros all over the West that are able to quench their thirst in some of the springs and creeks and so on that exist throughout even the desert West. Some of the driest places you wouldn't think anything could live. You'll see a bunch of wild burros out there or uh, uh, desert bighorns. They can live on that. Uh, by them shall the fowls of the heaven have their habitation, which sing among the branches. There weren't very many birds when we got here. Now we got birds everywhere. They're increasing all the time. More trees, more bushes, more barns that they can nest in. Uh, we have more and more. To me, that's a welcome sight. I love to hear the birds singing. He waters the hills from his chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your works. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle, an herb for the service of man, that he may bring forth food out of the earth. Now, this is quite a little time he's spending here since he opened this prayer, isn't it? And all he's done is extol the virtues and the power and the blessings that come from God. So it's uplifting. Get your mind on what God can do. Now, he's given us the ground and the water, and we can plant gardens, and we can plant trees, and we can, we can get stuff that grows that's edible, that tastes good. And sheep and cattle and various things as well, milk and honey. Food out of the earth, and wine that makes glad the heart of man, and oil to make his face to shine, and bread which strengthens man's heart. So he kind of even breaks that down a little bit. Uh, he says, wine makes glad the heart, so there's time for alcohol, time to use it in the right way, that it can kind of pick you up and make you joyous, uh, drink too much and it can make you depressed, got to be used right, uh, but it can be something alcohol God made to use in a right way. 
uh, an oil to make his face to shine, or if we have enough fat and oil in our diet, then our skin is good. Uh, we we look healthy, and bread which strengthens and gives us the carbohydrates, give us the strength to work and to, to do to live and to do. So it all comes from God. The trees of the field are full of sap. The cedars of Lebanon, which he has planted. So he put forests and everything for our use. Where the birds make their nests, as for the stork, the fir trees are her house. The high hills are a refuge for the wild goats, the rocks for the conies. So the mountain goats and the the various animals in the mountains God put there. And he tells us back in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, different places, that we can we can go out and hunt them and use them for food. But hunting is something that he approves. He appointed the moon for seasons. The sun knows his going down. Well, God says, I've just got it all working like clockwork. Seasons come, the seasons go. The sun knows when to go up, knows when to come down. I've got it all regulated just right. We can't do anything with those things, but God does. You make darkness, and it is night. You got any control over when the sun goes down, when it gets dark? No, I don't. That's God's, all His doing. Wherein all the beasts of the forest do creep forth. So, He makes it dark because certain animals come out, they're nocturnal, they eat at night. That's when their world comes alive, is during the night. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their meat from God. So God made the various antelope and the deer and the things for the lions and the bears and the tigers to eat. He set up this whole system of the food chain. It looks harsh and cruel sometimes to us, but God says, this this is what I do. Of course, he says in the millennium, he's going to change all that. They'll all lie down together and they'll all have their teeth changed and and eat grass. Uh, But I think we'll be able to eat whatever we want. We won't have to eat and we won't get fat, but we can enjoy. God, God is going to enjoy the wedding supper. He says in Deuteronomy, I think it is, that wine cheers the heart of God and man. So God drinks alcohol too. Uh, But Christ said he wouldn't drink wine anymore until he came and drank it with us at the wedding supper. So, you know, days is a thousand years, so he's been off it for a few days. But uh, he isn't addicted either. (laughs) But God is such, I don't know what variety of alcohol he drinks or or drank was wine, but his system does not require food, and yet on the other hand, he enjoys the benefits and the tastes, and alcohol apparently even affects his mind, because it says that it causes him joy. So, I I don't know what kind of spiritual alcohol that is, or maybe he just causes uh, that, but it, it gladdens his heart the same way it can gladden man's heart. That's what he says. Let's see. Well, he's talking about the lion, young lions here in verse 22. The sun arises, they gather themselves together, 
and lay them down in their dens. So they hunt at night, eat at night, and then they rest through the day. Man goes forth to his work and his labor until the evening. So some of the animals are nocturnal, but we're people of the light. That's when we do most of our work. O Eternal, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made all. The earth is full of your riches. So is this great and wide sea, wherein are things creeping innumerable, both small and great beasts. You know, we can read Romans 1.20, and it says that you see God through the creation, and we can, we can tell ourselves that we ought to enjoy God's creation, get out in it, see it, experience it, feel it, taste it, smell it. Uh, God wants us outside enjoying His creation. He doesn't want us to stay in the house all the time. Uh, the house, everything in there is man-made. But He wants us to get out and enjoy the things that He has made. Uh, so there's, there's a balance in there that we have to find. Uh, the daytime generally is a time to be out doing work, and God intended man basically to work outside. God did not intend offices. Now, we may have to work in offices for a, a time, but He intended us all from the very beginning to dress and keep a garden, to be outside, to be among animals and, and trees and plants for food, and to dress and to keep that. And then He tells us we're gonna, it's going to be restored, even in this day before uh, the millennium. He says, I'll, there in Zechariah 3, you'll have, each man will have his own vine and fig tree. So he is going to make it where we can provide those things which we need to subsist. And he'll have to do it in such a way that we don't need money anymore. And he does say there in Isaiah 54, come and have wine and milk without money. Uh, we won't, right now we're still dependent on the system and the dollar bill to pay our taxes, to buy gas, to, to go to the store and buy food. We can't break completely away yet, it seems. Uh, if you don't make some money and pay your land taxes, they'll take your land away from you right now. But there will come a time when we're not under that anymore. And God is going to bless us in such a way that we can subsist on what He has done and show the world that that can be done. And then the whole world then in the millennium is going to be that way. So we need to be getting our minds uh, in line with some of these principles. Because it isn't very far away, I think, as far as we're concerned. I was going to comment, we have Romans one twenty to tell us that, but then we have some of these psalms back there. If we, we lack in imagination and so on, we can come back and read these. And make it our prayer. You know, sometimes if our, our thoughts won't come and our, we're not in the right mood or whatever, I have found that I can go to the Psalms or various other places in the Bible and begin and ask God to make this my prayer and then begin to read it and think about it and express it back to God and, and then it'll help me get in the right mood. So these back here are for our use. And then we need to get out in nature and experience it ourselves so that we can pray that way better. 
Verse 24, O Lord, how manifold are your works, and wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your riches wherever you go. The fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, the, the deer, the animals, uh, the grass, the, uh, the berries, the nuts, and so on. It just goes on and on. So is this great and wide sea, wherein lie all things creeping, innumerable, both small and great beasts. There go the ships. Oh, they were sailing ships back then. Wow. With evolution, it thought that it had just been kind of dog paddling. Um, there is that Leviathan whom you have made to play therein. Great beasts that he made at one point. They may or may not have all died out at this point. These wait all upon you, that you may give them their meat in due season. Not that they're sitting around waiting, but the thought is there is these all depend on you and what you've created for their sustenance so that things keep going on and on and the, the food chain remains rather than being eaten up and destroyed. Man's destroying it, but the way God set it up, it wouldn't go away. You give them... Oh, wait a minute. That you give them, they gather. You open your hand, they are filled with good. So it all comes from His hand. You hide your face, they are troubled. You take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. So, yeah, it's all here. It's all dependent on him. And if he removes his hand, it all falls apart. He removed his hand of blessing and what happened to the church? Fell apart. So whether it's man or beast, the same is true. You send forth your spirit. They are created. And you renew the face of the earth. The glory of the eternal shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in his works. When he got done creating, he says, it's very good. He looks on the earth and it trembles. He touches the hills and they smoke. Volcanoes, whatever. He can do whatever he wishes. And the earth is at his command. So then he closes the thought. I will sing to the eternal as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the eternal. Well, if you, I feel better already, don't you? Just reading through all this, it kind of picks you up, makes you realize, hey, I just want to get my mind off my stupid self and on God, and things look rosier. I will be glad in the eternal. Let the sinners be consumed out of the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless you, the eternal, O my soul. Praise you, the Lord. So he ends it the same way he began it. Magnificent prayer. It's all just about God. He didn't ask really for anything here. He just rehearsed all the things that come from God. Uh, we, we tend to get off on our wants and our needs. Our prayers can become very selfish. And sometimes we do need to pray for the things we need, give us our daily bread and so on. But, but sometimes the prayer just needs to be glory to God in the highest. And here's a good example of it. Well, let's quit there. It's almost an hour. And good note to stop on. So we'll be dismissed.